0: The text for the sermon this day is taken from the epistle lesson, which you heard a little bit ago. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Here we are, on another day, in another year, another month, another week, another hour, in no enemy occupied territory that is what this world is enemy occupied territory but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior the lord jesus christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body but for now We are in enemy-occupied territory. What that means is that we live in the realm, in a world where the devil is fully at work. This is his world that we live in. And we are surrounded by its effects. We are surrounded by the evidence that we are in enemy-occupied territory. All you have to look around do is look around the world. Look at the wars that are going on, particularly in Ukraine. You can think of the rumors of war. The fears of, a possible, of World War III. You can look at a world filled with disease. In case you did not, we just realized this is before service, that we are two, Tuesday is two years since everything shut down so there's a little reminder we live in a world where we are surrounded by sickness covid heart disease cancer whatever you can think of we are surrounded by death we are surrounded by a world with brokenness everywhere we look it should not be hard to see that we are indeed in enemy-occupied territory. But see, there's a the good news. This enemy-occupied territory was invaded. It was invaded by the good king. The king of kings, the lord of lords. He invaded by disguise. In order to take on the enemy of sin, death, and the devil. And he took it on head on. Last week we heard of an example of him facing the devil face to face. And turning him away. He was tempted, but he never gave in. And so as he fought with the enemy... With the master of this world. They rejected him and eventually sentenced him to death, death by crucifixion. And so the enemy thought that they had defeated the one true king. He thought he was victorious. But of course, our king conquered sin, he conquered death, he conquered the devil, and he rose from the dead victorious over the grave. And so, for you, as you dwell in enemy-occupied territory, was a day that the good news, the wondrous message of his deeds, came to you. Whether it was proclaimed to you in a, in a sermon, or somebody out reaching out to you, or it was through the waters of baptism, you received a certificate. You received a seal. You received a promise that your citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. All three of our scripture readings are reflective, of this reality of enemy occupied territory. For indeed, you are citizens of heaven. And since you are in enemy occupied territory, you don't quite ever fit. As I've said many times, you're not normal. Jeremiah. When he warned of the people of Israel that destruction would come their way if they did not repent, what was their reaction? Was their reaction, oh, that's great news. We repented. We totally welcome your message. Nope. Their answer was, you shall die. This man deserves death. The deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against this city as you have heard with your own ears. Jesus, in the gospel lesson, he said, he was told to get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you would not. The epistle lesson. Paul, writing from prison. He is in prison because he is a Christian. Because he confessed the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of Jesus. And so as he writes from prison, he says, Many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. In other words, these are those who, they're faithful. They believe, they confess, Jesus is the Christ. But they abandoned. They rejected the message and stand as enemies. This reality gives tears to Paul. The hymn that we just sang, at the beginning of the service, I talked about the third verse. But the hymn that wrote, the writer, his name is Martin Shawling, He wrote, He lived in the 16th century. And he was a Lutheran pastor. And pretty much every town he was in, he got kicked out of. Why? Because he was preaching salvation by grace through faith alone. He was teaching that baptism saves. He was teaching that in the bread is the body of Jesus. In the wine is the blood of Jesus given to you for the forgiveness of sins. And those who taught that it only represents the body, those who taught that it represents the blood, those who taught that baptism is an act of obedience but doesn't save, repeatedly threw him out of those cities. And so this is why he writes in verse 2, Lord, grant that I in every place, notice every place because he keeps moving from place to place because he keeps getting thrown out, May glorify thy lavish grace, and help and serve my neighbor. Let no false doctrine me beguile. Let Satan not my soul defile. Give strength and patience unto me to bear my cross and follow thee. We are indeed in no man's land. We are an enemy-occupied territory. And by the way, that term, that phrase, enemy-occupied territory, it came from C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis is one who is definitely worth reading. Mere Christianity is probably, aside from Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity is probably his most well-known work. And this is the quote that he says. Enemy-occupied territory. That is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise. And is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. When you go to church, you are really listening in to the secret wireless from our friends. Now I know secret wireless, that's a foreign idea to us. We don't. When we think wireless, we think wireless internet. C.S. Lewis lived in the 40s. He didn't think about internet yet. But just give a little perspective, he, is a, he, was, he served in World War I. He writes this during World War II. So he's living in a world where people are extremely familiar with combat. So instead of secret wireless, you could think of secret email or secret text messaging whatever but anyways this is why the enemy is so anxious to prevent us from going to church he does it by playing on our conceit and laziness and intellectual snobbery i know someone will ask me do you really mean at this time of day to reintroduce our old friend the devil hoofs and horns and all Well, what the time of day has to do with it, I do not know. And I am not particular about the hoofs and horns. But in other respects, my answer is, yes, I do. I do not claim to know anything about his personal appearance. If anybody really wants to know him better, I would say to that person, don't worry. If you really want to, you will. Whether you'll like it when you do, is another question. Enemy occupied territory. And see, that's why we have this sanctuary, a place set apart, to hear the messages of your king, her written in his scriptures. Hear what he has done for you, to equip you, to arm you, because you are the soldiers. You are the warriors fighting in this war in enemy-occupied territory. And your weapons are not literal swords. Now, interestingly, in the history of the church, some people did take that literally. But not a literal sword, but the Word of God is your weapon. And so you come here to learn and become familiar with how to wield it to be strengthened, to be nourished. You're even given a wondrous feast prepared by your king to strengthen you so that you may go out into the battlefield, into the mission field, and fight the good fight with all your might, declaring the good news of the king to all those victims that are around us In enemy-occupied territory. And we can stand firm in the midst of enemy-occupied territory. We can preach the gospel fully, knowing that the truth that we speak is offensive to the enemy. And he makes sure that it's offensive to all those he has hold of. And because it's offensive, he will go after you, he'll target you, and he'll try to silence the truth. And note, I didn't say he will silence truth. The devil doesn't have a problem with some truth. Some truth, whatever. He can deal with it. It's the truth of Christ that he can't handle. That's what he wants silenced. He wants you to be silent. The one thing he does not want you is to be wielding that sword, that others may be set free, and they too would receive citizenship in heaven. Luther's large catechism, which, by the way, if you've not read Luther's large catechism, especially if you're an adult, do so. You should read it. If we did confirmation the way it actually was supposed to be done, or I should say, the more appropriate term is catechesis, Christian instruction, kids would actually get to stay home on Wednesday nights. But the ones who would actually come to class would be actually parents. And the pastor would teach them Luther's large catechism. And then the parents would go home and teach their kids... Luther's small catechism. But the reality the sad reality of our world is that we have done a really wonderful work job or I should say not so wonderful job caving into the enemy. Because we know that if we tried to do that so few parents would do it. Think about how hard it is to get parents just to go to a Bible class. How likely would they want to come and learn so that they could teach their children, which is their God-given responsibility? But this is what Luther wrote regarding the third article, or the third commandment. He says, For we see that people seem weary and lazy about receiving the sacrament. A great multitude hears the gospel, yet because the nonsense of the Pope has been abolished and we are freed from his laws and coercion, they go one, two, three years or even longer without the sacrament. They act as though they were strong Christians, that they have no need of it. Some allow themselves to be hindered and held up by the excuse that they have that we have taught that no one should approach the sacrament except those who hunger and thirst. They pretend that it is enough to believe without it. For the most part, they go so far astray that they become quite brutish and finally despise both the sacrament and God's word. Now, it is true, as we have said, that no one should by any means be forced or compelled to go to the sacrament, lest we institute a new murdering of souls. Nevertheless, it must be known that people who deprive themselves of and withdraw from the sacrament for such a long time are not to be considered Christians. For Christ has not instituted it to be treated as a show. Instead, he has commanded his Christians to eat it, drink it, and remember him by it. The clever ways the devil has worked on us and kept us from the supper. Going back to that epistle where Paul talks about those who walk as enemies, it happens so many Confirmation Sundays. We have our kids come up here and they confess that they believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the words of the Apostles' Creed. They confess that they will remain faithful in the reception of the Lord's Supper, in the hearing of God's word, they confess that they will, would rather, would rather face death than walk away or abandon this confession. And yet the very sad reality we know is that so often there are kids that are up there, they're saying those words, and their parents are sitting in there and listening, And both of them already have the plan in place. In fact, they've had it for months, maybe even years. They probably had it in before they even started instruction. They know that that's the last time they'll be in church until maybe graduate recognition. The next time will be for a wedding, and the next time, a funeral. If we go with And Luther has very good logic for this. Somebody withdraws for the supper for that long. They should not be considered Christian. Because Jesus said, as often as you do this. He didn't say, when you do this once every couple years. Or when you do this every Easter. No, he said, as often as meaning he expects you to do it when often when when we refuse to receive the lord's supper often we are directly rebelling against god's jesus's own instruction and command and design but see we the devil wants you to do that he wants you to withdraw because you are in enemy-occupied territory and he knows how dangerous that meal is to him. He doesn't want you feasting on God's word. He doesn't want you feasting on the sacrament because that makes you dangerous to him. So he works on you and tries to lead you astray. As Luther continues, if you could see how many knives, darts, and arrows are every moment aimed at you, you would be glad to come to the sacrament as often as possible. Yes, indeed, we are enemy-occupied territory. But your citizenship is in heaven. We stand in this world, we stand in enemy-occupied territory, as the not normal ones for one purpose, and that is to preach the good news, to deliver the good news, to deliver the message from our King. And along the way, he strengthens us with his word. And you know that when you fail, when you don't do as you should, he has already forgiven you. He has forgiven you in the waters of baptism. And you come here and you hear those words again. Now I know some people say, well, I already know I'm forgiven. Well, that's just like, well, I already know that my wife loves me. Or my wife already knows I love her. She doesn't need me to hear it. need to hear it, right? Just say you love her on your wedding and that's done, right? Would that be a good idea? No. You need to hear it. You may, yes, it may still be true. But hearing the words have power. So hearing Again and again, God's forgiveness. Hearing his grace again and again is good, it is needed, it is beneficial. Because indeed, your citizenship is in heaven. And the day will indeed come when your bodies, this thing, it's going to rise up. Physically. Glorious. And it was kind of cool to say this to golden horizon yesterday one of the cool thing or on thursday sorry one of the cool things about that resurrection of the body is you're looking at golden horizons when you're in assisted living or even you go to willowdale or Mer- or whatever and you see that they're you know they struggle to get walk and everything to tell them the bodily resurrection your citizenship in heaven means your body's going to rise so thoroughly That if you want to, you can do backflips and cartwheels and all that stuff. And some of you are probably thinking, I I couldn't even do that when I was a kid. That's how big the resurrection is. This is why we hope in the midst of enemy-occupied territory. Because this isn't our citizenship. Our citizenship is not here in this kingdom. It's with the King of Kings. And indeed, your body will rise. And so, bring that good news to your neighbor until Christ returns and brings us to his everlasting kingdom. Amen. Grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith, the life everlasting.